Welcome to Real Estate Unscripted, where each week we connect no-nonsense, let's-get-it-done realtors and lenders from across the country who want to grow our businesses and stay motivated with timely topics and experts in our field. I'm your host, Marjorie Adam. Let's get started. Yay! Hello, everyone. Well, I'm so excited to have Bobby Nicely back on the podcast. How are you, Bobby? Good. Excited to be here with you this morning again. Yeah, we're shifting kind of our gears a little bit. So we did an intro last time you and I talked, but we thought it was really timely to come back to Real Estate Unscripted and talk about the elephant in the room or what everyone knows, and that's the rates. And I think as you more than anyone know, because you and I ran numbers, you are the guru at this. And like I said, I can know some percentages pretty quickly, but the rest of the math is a lot of math. But let's talk about the rates. Let's talk about some misconceptions. Let's also talk about what we can do as realtors and lenders together to consult our clients and really be there for them in this time where there's mass confusion with everybody, even the realtors and hopefully not the lenders. But we still are like, wait, what is the rate and how much difference? We know there's an adjustment. We know the rates are higher. We write a contract. We hyperventilate a little bit. But what does it mean? And so I wanted to have you back on here to give us some strategies that we can work with, with our clients, with our buyers, with seller clients, and how we can really understand a couple of things. One you and I talked about was it's kind of time to go old school again, right? I want to be cautious when I say that, because I think when you say going back old school and people think back to the crash, they think, wait a minute, are you mortgage companies going to start offering these subprime, dangerous, loosen your restrictions, loans? And that's not what we're talking about at all. So talk about that for a little bit. Sure. Well, first of all, it's a much different environment than we had in 2008 and There's still a housing shortage. So we got to think about that. It's a much different time that we're in. But yeah, I mean, we had an economist talk to our company last week, and he threw out the word chaos four times. Chaos in the market. So our response is we want to be a group that runs towards the chaos with solutions, not to just cower and say, tell me when it's over, because we need to be there for our clients. And people still need to buy houses. People yep. need to sell houses. And we got a lot going on. And I think one of the things we can talk about is strategies where agents and lenders can work together up on the listing. If someone's ready to list their house, and they know that the affordability has been impacted severely. You and I ran some numbers earlier, and you're basically looking at similar payment on a $500,000 house today that you would be looking at six months ago on an $800,000 house. So you lost roughly $300,000 in buying power in six months as a buyer. Now, the good news is, again, there's still a housing shortage. There's less competition. There's less people competing with you so maybe you can use that to your advantage. And then what do you do when you're out shopping for a house? How can you take advantage of there being less buyers? If the seller can participate with some seller concessions, then I think that's where there's some opportunity to get your payment down a little bit, at least for the first year or two. And then we do believe that there's a very strong chance as the Fed continues to do what they're doing, which is to try to break inflation, that at some point in the next 12 to 18 months, you're going to have an opportunity to refinance and lower your payment. But you need to be able to live with the payment today. Yeah. So that's something you and I talked about. So I think let's really look at that. I think that anyone who's listening, anyone who's working with buyer clients, any lenders that have clients, if you have not been 
in touch with them and rerun scenarios for them. I would say in the last couple of weeks, honestly, like if it was six months ago, forget about it. Even if it was three months ago, because I think the reality is we almost don't want to talk about it because it's painful. But I mean, of course, we've had clients that we've worked with. We just got a client's under contract last week. We started with them, what, a year and a half ago because they kept losing on houses. So the good news is they found a house now and they didn't have to compete with mass amounts of people. Of course, the bad news is their rate went up 3%. So it's a very painful difference for the buyers. But let's talk about realtors. You need to be looking at your band of buyers, we'll call them, that you've been taking out. And when's the last time that you told them, hey, go meet with the lender? Because you just said a very important thing I think we shouldn't gloss over. The payment, you and I, when we ran the numbers for about 2672 to 2800 right? That is now a $500,000 at six and seven eighths mortgage, right? With just principal and interest, which was an $800,000 principal and interest. So let's obviously think about if your clients were looking at $800,000 houses and now they can afford a $500,000 house on the same payment, not saying they can't go higher, but let's just say they can't. That's a rude awakening. So number one for the realtor and the lender, it's counseling them through, here's where the rates are, here's where the payments are, but it's also expectations on our end. Here's what we can find now. So yes, the positives of we're still competing on some things and some not, right? So it's a little mixed, but here's the potential we have now. Less competition is what got our clients a house and the need of a home, right? They need to buy. But I think another thing we all need to pay attention to is no one size fits all, right? I think there is a realness of it makes sense for me to buy right now at this price point because I can still find what I want because rents in my area are so expensive and I want to stay put for long enough. And frankly, that I can find something now at 500000 at this payment that, you know, before I was at eight that I'm going to be happy with, right? So we've got to really be not only thoughtful in the numbers, but thoughtful in our consultations and understanding the realness of whoa, that's going on right now. So I think that kind of step back and some people will exit the market. Now we talked about there will be fewer buyers because it's a reality, right? This interest rate, not only just real amount of payment, but fear, right? I think people will say, wait a minute, I'm not getting into this because the people that went in whatever shape or form through 2008, I'm not doing that again, even though it's a very different market and it's so volatile. And I think you hear the news and you hear, oh, rates went up three quarters of a point. Of course, we know that's not necessarily directly for mortgages. It's everything else that's painful we'll talk about later. But I think the education component being the guide, like we are their guide, right? We guide our clients through and some clients are going to step out and we need to just stay in touch with them and say, we get it and not say, yeah, but. And again, I think that you and I talked about and what's important, the team really is our client. So let's say our buyer client right now, the lender, the realtor, but their financial advisor and accountant. Look, if the stock market's down, let's say 25% just as a number, I'm not going to go yank my stock money out to go put down on a house because I'm in a loss situation. I got to keep that there. So where can I move money that might make sense? Do I do a different kind of loan? Do I have residual cash that maybe I pay cash for now and then wait till the rates? I mean, there are strategies, but those are a lot of discussions. This is, again, the need for us again. Yeah, absolutely. True professionals to differentiate themselves from the masses in our industry. We've got a lot of folks, both on the lending side and the real estate side, that may be newer. And nothing wrong with that. If you're a new agent, a new loan officer, this is the time to really differentiate yourself. You call it old school, but it's really looking at each individual situation because 
Maybe someone told you you have to put 20% down. Maybe for your scenario, you don't want to put 20% down. As a seller, maybe you're thinking you could sell your house with no contingencies or no seller concessions, but now it makes sense to offer your home and market your home with seller concessions because that's going to give the lender more flexibility to either do a buy down or a discount point towards the rate to put the borrower in a better situation, especially short term. Because again, we do think that in 12 to 18 months, sometime, maybe possibly even earlier, you can have an opportunity to refinance the mortgage and save some money, but we don't want to go into it assuming that's 100% a guarantee. Nobody can guarantee anything, and if they do, you probably should run from it. Yeah, and I think that that's what we think is going to happen, but to be clear, we're going to talk about a strategy that I really like, actually, in a second on combining a little bit of some rate buy-down and a buy-down program, but I think what we talked about as well is... Look, if you're going to be going for a $500,000 house, and let's just say right now the payment's $2,672. let us use that number. It's October 4th. Again, things change every day, so we want to be careful, but that's the payment. If I'm meeting with someone or you are, and they say, I cannot afford $2,672, then we don't go talk to them about a buy-down to save them a couple hundred a month because they can't afford it. And when it goes back up in a year, they can't afford it. So these programs and being, we'll call them creative, which I think people get a bad taste with that word, but that's not what it is. It's really saying, what's my best scenario? But the best scenario is if you can't afford it now is not to creatively try to put someone in a box by someone paying more money for them and for a year to afford it. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is quite honestly, right now, everyone sort of has this gut or heart like, oh, just reaction to where the rates are. But if we can say, okay, I can afford this. It just really, it sucks. It makes me mad, right? I'm really unhappy with it. All right. Well, here's some strategies that we can kind of take some of the sting out, let's call it, make it more affordable. But again, not for someone that's going to reach for something that they shouldn't be in. That's not what we're telling. Because I think when people hear that, they're like, well, we're trying to push someone in. No, we're not. It's how can we make this as effective and affordable for you now with the reality we're in? Not how can we make this dream scenario that you should reach for because we're just telling you, don't worry about it because you're going to refine a year. No, we're hoping you can refine at 12, 18, 24 months, which has been the case for at least 27 years, right? We've gone through up and you can refine up and you can refine. So looking at the past, we should assume that, but they have to afford it to begin with. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to be comfortable with where the payment's at. If you can live with where it's at, then it can only go up from there. And as a lender, we have a fiduciary responsibility and as agent as well to make sure that, you know, six, eight, 10 months from now, they don't say, man, I wish I had done this Yeah, because this payment is too much. So now we can't make their decisions for them. But I think to your point, The goal is not to get creative and to tell them that this is very short term. Don't worry. Everything's going to work out perfectly because there's no guarantee to that. But to be that trusted advisor, they can go into different strategies. Do you put 20% down? Do you put 10% down? Do you do some kind of different loan program? Do you do an adjustable rate mortgage, which has kind of had a bad rap from the exotic products we had in the early to mid-2000s, which was not really the same product we have today. Today's product is fully underwritten. Most arms are guaranteed from seven to 10 years or your rate's locked in for seven to 10 years. If you think you might move in a time period or this is just your starter home, it may make sense or the buy down may make sense for you. But again, that's short-term relief for a long-term strategy. And it just got to be part of the strategy. It's not the Hail Mary, Yeah, this is going to solve everything strategy. Well, so let's do just a couple basics on an arm. So you're not a fan of a five and one because really there's a lot of challenges to that, right? So let's talk about a seven and one and 10 and one because I can tell you over my buying homes over the years, we did five and one, a refied or a seven, one, whatever the terms might've been at the time. But what you told me was, and you can explain this further, that you want at least a half a point or better 
between let's say the 30 year fixed a half a point or better differentiator if, if I'm going to do a seven and one or a 10 and one to the 30 year fix, right? Because I think people say, when does it make sense? Is it just a couple bucks? So your advice is that half a point or better? Yeah, generally speaking, at least a half a point makes the most sense if you're going to go seven one or 10 one. And just so people know what that means is it would be fixed for seven years. So you'd have no payment change. And then at the end of that seven year period, you're going to start to adjust to the market. Now, not to get too technical, but there is a cap and a margin and an index that all that's derived from. So you'd want to know all those and you'd want to work with the loan officer that explains it in great detail. So what you're getting yourself into. And of course, a 10-year is fixed for 10 years. So you have no payment changes, no interest rate changes for that time period. Again, it may make sense now, given the fact that we think there's going to be a refinance opportunity. But as we've been saying, that's not a guarantee. And then something we like that we're going to dust it off actually is the buy down option. And you can do what's called a one one buy down or a two one buy down. And that's really just where the seller is helping to buy down the buyer's rate for that first year. On a one one for a two one, you buy it down over two years. So not to be confused with a discount point, which a discount point is also a seller concession and that can lower the rate permanently. But a 1% discount point typically only lowers the rate about a quarter percent for the borrower. So to the point you were making earlier, if you run some scenarios, and again, a buy down on a $175,000 house may not make sense. On a $350,000 house, it may make perfect sense. So you really, again, have to work together and every loan, every situation is different. Yeah. It's, it's a strategy. It's not dead set tactic that's good for everybody. But the scenario you and I ran earlier, you could kind of mix and match a 1% with a 1% discount point, you know, and save about $300 a month in payment the first year. And then you would jump back up another $260 or something when the payments reset. So there's real savings in that. And again, the benefit is you can afford the full payment, but because the market has changed and the sellers now, some of them at least, are willing to pay seller concessions, you could take advantage of that. And they essentially, the seller, are paying for some of your discount and for your buy-in for the yeah. first year. So you're taking advantage of the market, basically, to lower your payment for the well. So let's give them a couple tactical things. So one thing that we talked about that I think is really important, because again, you hear on the news and some people say, oh, buy downs are evil, don't ever do them. And one thing that you and I talked about that's super important that we want to refer them to is that you said there's a buy down agreement. So anyone who's considering it needs to talk to their lender about what the buy down agreement looks like. Because what you mentioned to me is, for example, if they pay off the mortgage early or refinance on your buy down agreement, they're going to get a credit back. So that right. is to their advantage. So this agreement specifies if you're going to get any money back, if you do refinance, I guess, within that two-year period or one-year period, yeah. right, of that agreement. So that's a pretty key thing because, again, yes. not every product is made the same. So I've right. heard people say, oh, those are awful. Don't do them. And that's why I asked you as we were talking before we started recording and you said they can be if right? So again, not one size fits all. So for anyone who's thinking about it and they think about anything on these buy downs, talk to your lender about the buy down agreement. What happens if you refine in the meantime? Do you get some credit back or some money back? That's pretty valuable information. Then let's talk about structuring this. So I'm a realtor. So the one thing we joke about the lenders is you just never know. Like it's, oh, I can put the appliances and personal property in this contract. No, they can't be here. We know not to put stupid things like a tractor or a piano, but sometimes it's like, why do I have to put that the appliances have no value? They're in the house. 
house. Clearly there's a value. I can't cook without a stove. So like, don't write that, do write that. So what you and I talked about is usually we will write when the day was, which is in theory for some places coming back that we could ask for concessions, right? So seller to pay. And we used to say, let's say $5,000 of the purchaser's points, prepaids, et cetera. Do I need to say seller to pay? Let's use 5,000 towards buy downs points. Do I need to specify a buy down in there or can I say points, closing costs, et cetera? I I would specify buy downs. I think it gives a lot more flexibility to the lender to structure it and without having to either rewrite a contract, get an addendum. Uh, Now there is the agreement that's also going to be signed as well, but I think putting in the contract just initially just gives that flexibility to the lender. Okay. So add the word buy downs as a possibility. So again, seller to pay let's 5,000, whatever it is, towards purchasers, closing costs, points, buy downs, et cetera, right? So add that because we never did. So I just think strategically, if we're talking about all this, then that's an implementation. So let's go to the sellers now. So of course, the sellers in the spring, sellers have gotten really spoiled as we know. And the market changes, right? One side gets spoiled. Right now, sellers literally were like, no, you can't come in until midnight. I will not move out for eight months. I will not pick my underwear off the floor. You will pay a hundred thousand over asking. No, you may not have an inspection. It just got nuts. It was multiple offers. You can stay till the end of time. I'll mow your yard for you. Can I cater your lunch? And so I think people got super spoiled, right? And the expectations were there. And then now offers in many places are starting to dwindle. Not everywhere. We still have multiple offers here. We're competing with one that I'm waiting to hear back now. So all of a sudden we're still having that, but not in every house. So expectation generally in our area, at least is November, December, and January are pretty dead. So let's say you're not flexible enough to wait. You're not going to wait till spring. So I'm a seller now. Now, again, counseling the sellers, as you know, so Bobby, if you're my seller, that in February, your neighbor's house was listed for 500, but it sold for 675 because it got 15 offers. So of course, you're going to tell me it's worth 675, which it's not really worth 675, but it's going to be hard to convince you that. So we got to work through that first. But second, the fact that I'm going to tell you the price has to come down or whatever it is, and maybe we should offer concessions is going to be really hard for most people to hear. But I think if we can have a strategic discussion with them in the listing process to say, listen, let's face it, it's not the same market that we just talked about. You have to educate your seller. So Bobby, listen, I hear what you're saying and let me show you it had 11 offers. And yes, you think that house is now worth 675. The issue is this one, the market's changed. That $675,000 buyer can now buy a $375,000 house for the same payment. We're in a very different environment. So we want to max what we can get. We got to get your house ready. But here's a strategy that I think we should implement to lower the pain to someone with their interest rate. And what we can do is offer a concession that they can use towards closing costs, points, and to buy down their rate to make it a little more palatable for them. Now let's pretend it's worth 550. I mean, you're not going to be happy with that, but maybe we do 560 and offer $10,000 back to the buyer as concessions and prepaids. And let's show them because realistically, quite frankly, for 8880, we can be saving them $300, $400 a month right? And so that's real money for them to be able to re-afford your house. These are the things that we have to make sure. And actually, I would highly recommend for Alcova to say, okay, guys, we did a $500,000 example with a one, one buy down and a discount point. And when I talked to you about this, I'm like, oh, that's going to be 15 or $18,000. And it was 8,880. So I think that the perception and the reality, because if I can say to a buyer, come buy Bobby's house, it's 560 and included in 560, we're going to save you 300 a month off your mortgage. So you'd say, 300 a month in your payment, that's real money. That's a real value. Instead of us pricing it there and then going to 540 and then going to 520, 
some of that have to happen anyway. But why would we not incentivize someone to come to your house now? Don't wait because the rates can keep going up and we're going to help you with that. So I think that having some sort of at 250, maybe this makes sense. And at 500, this makes sense because we always can't remember what we can ask for, what our cap is. It's like we ask for all these closing costs and you're like, girl, you can't do that. So I think great idea. No, being clear on here's what we can offer. Here's the max. Here's what's going to help the most here. I really think would be something that would be huge value to us and quite frankly, help you too. So that you're not like, no, 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 sorry. I'm sorry. You promised that that's not how this works. So I just think that this meetings, which again, we talk about meeting with the buyers, but frankly, I think the realtors and lenders, loan officer partners need to meet up right now and say, Hey, hey, here's a strategy. Here's what you can offer. Here's what it looks like. Because even saying, we'll pay 10,000 of your closing costs. I'm like, all right, well, your house is still 560, but we'll pay 8880 and your payment will go down 300 a month. Oh, that's got some more meat to it. So I think being clear on these meetings right now, everyone needs to not only meet with their borrowers, but their lender partners, right? I would say, yeah, absolutely. Include us in your listing strategies and put us to work as lenders. And I think that's where we need to earn our keep and earn our money to help you move these houses and think of strategies to do that. That, the buy down and discount being one of them. And to your point on closing costs concessions, there are limits depending on the loan type, you know, so that can be part of the strategy. What kind of buyer is it attracting and what's the size? It's typically anywhere from three to 6% of the total price depending on the loan type. So that comes into play. If you've got a loan that's going to be more uh, a government buyer, you know, that could be a selling strategy that, hey, especially if it's like a USDA loan, you can get in this house with zero money down because if there's zero money required on the USDA loan program. And if you can pay all their closing costs, that can be appealing. And maybe that makes a ton of sense, even with the higher rates, because now you can afford the payment. And that's worst case scenario. You lock in your payment for 30 years and you go forward with that and get an opportunity to refi grade. If not, you could afford it. And I will tell you, I'm a huge fan of cheat sheets. Now I know for you guys, it's hard because it's like, oh, sorry, that was yesterday. Nope, tomorrow's different, right? <laughs> so I know that it would be so painful for you because you'd be like, oh, when I sent you 30 minutes ago, please don't use that. Even if you're writing a USDA, you can ask for up to this much in closing costs in general, right? So just because I think we think we know, but we don't, I'm just being honest, we forget. Yeah. Or it's like, wow, I haven't done one of those forever. I also, sure. before we go, wanted to touch on two other painful things that we wanted to maybe see if we could help people with. So one is if anyone has a HELOC, right? I'm paying bills today. I'm doing my personal budget and paying the mm -hmm. bills. Guess what? My rate went up another th three quarters of a point. So in the last month, it's gone up three and a half percent, which is painful. Went from three to six and a half or whatever it is. And so couple strategies on that. You said one was if you're stretched to pay, you have the option to just pay the interest for now. That's not a long-term gain, yeah. but because the payment's gone up so much to just pay the interest because you don't all of a sudden have this extra money. So for a period of time until rates can come down or you can figure out a solution, you have more money to pay, we can pay just the interest. You also said if you have funds you're investing, right? If you've been putting money in the stock market or wherever, right? Now we got to pay down other debt too, but investing those into paying down that HELOC yep. because putting stuff on a credit card is so much more expensive as we know, using extra funds and really balancing it out, paying attention to it. And again, what's my strategy? Okay, for the next 12 months, I've got to really pay down this credit card. I'm going to go just interest on the HELOC, then I'm going to really go and pay more attention. But we had talked about potentially a fixed second, but unfortunately with those being at about 8%, most people, that's not a strategy that they want to take up the rate even more to fix it at this point. Now, if the rates start messing at some point, that might be something to think about is, are we at a point that fixing a second is going to make more sense? Who knows? That's so right. I wanted to make sure because HELOCs are very painful right now. You know, Yeah, there's probably a little more pain to come. The Fed expected to raise the rates somewhere, give or take another 100 to 150 basis points over the next few months. 
So they're going to continue to rise. So it is important to look at your situation and say, okay, if I've got excess funds, I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. The stock market, some would say it's a good time to invest. And I think long-term it is. But if you're looking at your situation and your budget and it's really challenging, then you know if you pay that down, that's six and a half, seven percent gain yeah. that you're locking into. So there's no doubt about that. You could debate the stock market the next one to two years, what it's going to do. But if you're talking short-term pain and short-term gain, then paying that off is going to give you immediate reward for your money. Agreed. That's six and half seven percent. Also too, if you have credit card debt, that's going up faster and more expensive than your HELOC. So it may actually make sense to increase your HELOC if you have the equity, pay off the credit card, that can improve your overall cash flow. So even though the equity is going to go up, if you're faced with a decision, then go ahead and pay that credit card off with the HELOC. Another strategy actually you brought up, which was a good one, is to shop around. Maybe you can move some credit card debt to a different credit card company and maybe they give you a low introductory rate. So there's a strategy. If you've only got five to 10,000 in credit card debt, then that could save you some money in the short term by moving credit cards around to a new credit card company. But yeah, credit cards are going to feel the most pain the next six, eight months. So anything you can do to get rid of that first and the HELOC would be second. And then, like I said, if you do pay it down, you're getting a good return on your money to pay. Agreed. It and I do think, like I said, I mean, they are enough credit cards, you know, we'll give you 0% for 12 months or 5% for 18 months. Well, that's better than 30% or wherever you are. So really, yeah. this is where I think the issue is. I think it's a natural tendency to just sort of be like, wow, I just can't deal with it. I'm going to ignore it. Right. And I think ignoring yeah. it is not the strategy. The strategy is that you can compare like transfer balance rates for how long 0% yeah. for six months is great, but 5% for 18 might be better. And also meeting with financial advisor and saying, here's the situation I'm in, how how can I make the best of it for now? And yep. so that's why you came back so quickly, even though you just love it. But we mm -hmm. really wanted to help people right now figuring out what am I supposed to do? How do I advise my clients? And for borrowers and sellers thinking, what are some strategies versus, oh, I'll just reduce the price 10 grand. Well, maybe don't do that, right? Let's maybe offer yeah. some incentives that are going to help more. So yeah. that's why I wanted to have you here today. And again, I learned so much from you. I appreciate you coming on here. And of course, starting this podcast, which I'm loving to do. So Bobby, thank you for joining Real Estate Unscripted. Well, thanks. Excited to give some ideas, anything we can do to help. I think this is the kind of time, these are the kind of markets where we can really help our client. Not that we can't in a good market too, but this is really where we get a chance to truly make a difference because it's challenging out there and we'd like it to be easier, but we are faced with the reality. And so we got a great opportunity to help. And that's what this podcast is all about. So thank you. You're doing a wonderful job and excited to be here. Thanks, Bobby. Real Estate Unscripted is sponsored by Alcova Mortgage. Alcova is committed to simplifying the mortgage process. Check out the tools we offer to realtors and home buyers at alcova.com slash realtors. Alcova Mortgage, equal housing lender, NMLS ID number 40508, org. Before we go, please show us some love by subscribing on your listening platform of choice and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you share this with your friends and be sure to listen in next week. Until then, this is Marjorie Adam. Don't forget to check out the show notes for a recap. This podcast was made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support.